Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 697, which is the Nerdist Stand-Up Cluster, also known as Cluster Yucks by some. Uh, by who? Me and a some couple friends. Oh. <laughs> some people call it that. Nice. I want this intro to be fast because I want to get right into the show. Um, we did this show at Meltdown a couple of weeks ago. Totino sponsored the event. They sponsored our search for a favorited comedian who turned out to be a guy named Carlos Delgado who was amazing. Uh, and there are nine comics on the cluster. And it's a, a wonderful sampling of um, my favorite uh, comedians that maybe you – aren't as familiar with yet, but you definitely should be, or people that you do know that you want to hear more of. So um, I hosted the event, and uh, so I did some stand-up at the top, and then in between. The show ran about two and a half hours long, so I asked Katie to cut me out of it completely, uh, which was a very difficult thing to do as a self-indulgent comedian, to to say, okay, take me out of it. So that's why it might... I just want you to be prepared that it might feel a little jarring because we just get right into the show because I just – I wanted to be about the comics. They were all amazing and they deserve your attention and you know um, you should follow them online and buy whatever it is that you, know, that you can to get to know them better. Good so call. I was very excited and you had a great set too, you smarmy <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> Cut Kyle out. That's it. No. So uh, I really hope you enjoy this. I'm super excited. Uh, as I said, we cut me out, so it's, it should run about two hours long. And uh, here's the Nerdist Podcast number 697, the Nerdist Stand-Up Cluster number three. Because I got busy and didn't do one last year. This should be the fourth one, but it's the third one. I'm going to shut up talking. Okay, let's get into the show. Katie, go run the thing. <laughs> Who also uh, has been on At Midnight is currently on the Netflix series uh, Grace and Frankie, and uh, his I'm giving I'm going to get tw- Twitter handles for everyone. So if you're listening uh, to the podcast at home, you can follow them. Uh, his Twitter handle is at Bar Von Black with a Q. Uh, please welcome to the stage Baron Von. <laughs> Another round of applause for Chris Hardwick, everybody. You guys are fantastic. Oh, dead silence right away. The moment I get up here, you guys are like, done. Me and you, I gotta, that's what I got on under here. So anyway, uh, I just got back from the South and boy, is my skin tired. You know... They call racism humidity down there, which I think is very interesting. Uh, (laughs) I was in Wilmington, North Carolina. It's a beautiful city, beautiful city with an ugly history. Incredibly beautiful, incredibly ugly history. You know, like Berlin, where they're like, if we turn it into a bar, people forget the atrocities. It has that sort of feeling about it. And it was weird to be there because I know that my family started in this country in North Carolina, and that was a major port. So it's weird to go to where, you know, they came into this country and be like, wow, it's a Chipotle now. Like, it's just so much has changed. (laughs) And you would think that if your city is where slavery started, you wouldn't call your major store the Cotton Exchange. (laughs) But they do call it the Cotton Exchange. And I wanted to go in there and see if I could get a 100% discount. Because I'm not sure that was an exchange. (laughs) I just wanted to get up there and be like, yes, I saw you charge the white people in front of me, which is correct and true. However, 
Should I have to pay? Why, you ask? <laughs> I mean... We built this city that is... <laughs> I want to show you my new best friend. This is a, an EpiPen. Because I accidentally had butter a month ago. And had a little thing called anaphylactic shock. Because that's how allergic I am to dairy now. My allergies have become insane. I'm so allergic to dairy, and I did not know until a month ago. And uh, I've also learned that nobody knows what dairy is. No one in any restaurant... Does this have dairy on that? Ooh, asparagus. Does that... Can, can you have that? Yeah, that's not dairy. What about water? That's also not dairy. And we add it to everything like they did you a favor. That's, that's why I had it, because I ordered something that didn't have dairy on it, but they buttered the buns. As if, I was, as if I was like, oh, thank you so much. We buttered the buns. You're welcome. <laughs> Sprinkled some Parmesan on that. Thank me later. We drown this in whipped cream. I know I'm a hero. Look. We go um, above and beyond here at the Bucks of Star. And my pollen allergies are insane. So suddenly eating and breathing have become very difficult for me. I'm actually going to start calling my allergies my cops because they'll probably kill me in a way where most people will say, well, why were you outside? <laughs> Did you have any business being outside that day? <laughs> what you're feeling right now is called white guilt. I love it. <laughs> it's coming up a lot lately. Uh, I try to talk about it in an intelligent way, white guilt, because it's such a you know, divisive and interesting subject. So I always try to talk about white guilt sex because I am not racist sex is a very important sex in 2015. You know, there's a lot of people that want to prove they're not racist with their privates. And I'm not saying that it's fair. I'm not saying that it's just. I'm just saying I reap the benefits. And that's called progress. <laughs> because there was a time in this country where I am a racist sex was the number one sex that black people were having. I don't even need to tell you what the time is called because they make a movie about it every year. Look for the one with black people that'll win all the Oscars. There was one last year, it was called 12 Years Up. I forget the rest, but if you are a curious white girl and you'd like to know, go to my website. It's www.seemeaftertheshowforrealsies.xxx. And you also have to be a curious white girl. I don't like all white women. I like ones with curiosity. Ones who are like, what? That's my type. I don't know why. What? My goodness. You have no information, do you? I have some answers. I keep them in my pants. I call them my pantsers. What? Exactly. And that's different than my type of black woman. My type of black woman is like, what? That's what I like. That rate. What? Oh, my God. You are hot, but I'm scared. I'm going this way now. What? Sister, let's get together to make a class of warriors to take this planet back. What? Yes. What? You can come too. I... I'm a black nerd. I prefer the old term, which is black leader. And I, I've been around the world and I, I, I've seen a lot of different things. I was in Sweden recently. Sweden's an interesting country. Sweden is the answer to the question, but what if everyone had blonde dreadlocks? And I was walking down the street in Sweden as I'm wont to do. And it was, I had to go pack a bag, you know, and get on a plane in an hour. And people were out, you know, tapping, clapping, dancing. I don't know what fun looks like, but they were just out. 
you know, the drinking age is lower at 18 there. So people were just in the streets. And then I turned this corner. Suddenly there's no one else there except for me in this group of Hitler youth. But when I say Hitler youth, I don't mean to imply that they believe in Hitler as much as they are what Hitler would have believed in. Like if Hitler, if Hitler would have seen them, he would have been like, fucking exactly, on appearance alone. That's what I've been talking about. Hey, guys, good purity. You make the Fuhrer smile. Anyway, what was I talking about, Hugo Boss? True story, Hugo Boss, the man, actually designed the Nazi uniform. Second true story, Hugo Boss fits me perfectly off the rack, so learn to forgive. Anyway, I'm walking towards the youth. The youth be walked towards me, and we cross paths. I'm going from the sidewalk to the street. They're going from the street to the sidewalk, and one of them, let's call him Blondie McBlueidersons, tripped on the curb ever so gracefully as he was walking up it. And when you trip when you walk, it's so unexpected. Your body goes into slow motion and you scroll through all the things you could say. You could be like, whoa! Anyone who hear that? Uh, someone said, whoa. Someone must have tripped on the curb. They would know what's happening. We could just be like, curb! I've never, I just never heard anyone do that. And I would like people to start doing that. Someone tripped on the curb. Or they're wondering what Larry David's up to. That's what I would want to happen. But here's what Blondie McBlue-Idersons did. He tripped and he said a word to the heavens that I did not know was one of our chief exports as a country. He tripped and he went, whoa, nigga! And I stopped. Not even because I was mad, but because I'm a fan of philosophy. And sometimes I like to contemplate interesting questions. So I had to plant my feet. But what? How's the curb, nigga? Also, I heard it in a Swedish accent and it made me chuckle. So... All of that happened. I'm not perfect. It was, ha <laughs> ha, wait a minute. That's what happened. And they stopped because I stopped because they were thinking, oh no, murder. That's what they thought was next. And I don't know if anyone here has ever been handed the moment to just blow someone's minds because suddenly I was a climax in a movie I didn't even know I was going to be in. And I went into slow motion because it was a racial stumble. So I was like, oh, I got to say something perfect now. So I was scrolling through my brain. I'm like, I got these black thoughts. I've read so much about black thought. One time I was in a room with black thought. I have read it all from W.E.B. Du Bois to Michael Eric Dyson from Eldridge Cleaver to Cornell West, which is why I pointed and said the perfect thing. I said, hey, you be tripping. And then I... <laughs> walked away because I had to get on a flight. And I wasn't going to solve race in 20 minutes. <laughs> I've also been to England and he'll bid and his wife, but I've been there. And I had an I had a interesting... You ever have one of those uh, uh, experiences where you realize that you are just like a walk-on role in someone else's movie? <laughs> And you never find out what the end of the movie is. Because that's what happened to me when I was in England. Because uh, it's just, this story happened and I have no ending. And I'll tell you what I know, basically. Walking down the street, you know, when I was in England, I wanted to, like, you know, taste the countryside. You know, like, really experience the people. And by that, I mean I wanted to date a British woman. Which is how I ended up with the American RA in my friend's building. Anyway, we're walking down the street. I'm really good at it, too. I don't know if anyone here walks, but I don't even think about it when I do it. I just left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. Control, fall forward all day, all night. Could be listening to music that's a different rhythm. Doesn't mess up my stride. That's how good I am at walking. And I was synchronizing that ballet around somebody else. And like tonight with her, I was killing. Just diamond, diamond, blood diamond. Everything I said. 
And I probably said something accurate and pithy, like, British people be like, oi, right? <laughs> Halfway down the street, this guy stops in his tracks and he turns to us like this. Not the full body, just a part of a body. Just, who wants to know my secrets? <laughs> and he stood there waiting for us. I'm like, is he waiting for us? And as we got closer, I saw that he was waiting for us, which was intimidating because let me describe him to you. Six foot three, late 50s, pale, pale white skin, white hair that went to his shoulders, head to toe black, black trench coat, black leather boots, and an eye patch. <laughs> and a cello case. Like a Bond villain. <laughs> yes, Mr. Bond, the lasers will destroy all of you except for your eyeballs. I want to keep those. <laughs> Do you like Vivaldi? I'm a fan of Four Seasons. I've actually composed a fifth season. It's called Death. That's... <laughs> and as we got up there, he was like, Yes? And I was like, no, who are you? What's happening? I don't know who you are. You called me. You called my name. Sir, I don't even know what your name is. I was just entertaining my girlfriend here, you know, just diamond, diamond, blood diamond. And uh, I was just doing accurate and pithy impersonations of British expressions that I think, you know, because we both speak English, but I speak American English, and you speak England English. You know, two cultures divided by a common language. You ever heard that expression? Anyway, we've been eating different salads. That's what I'm trying to say. And I'm used to the textures of mine, but I was eating your salad, and then I got a crunchy crouton stuck in the back of my gullet, and it was like this little expression that kind of stuck there, and that expression is oi. That's all I was saying, just oi. And he was like, yes, I am oi. May I help you? And I just put my hand out and went, nice to meet you. And he shook my hand and went, nice to meet you. And then took off into the night. The end. No idea what that's about. Couple ideas. Runner up. I met the embodiment of a British child's nightmare. He is what parents tell kids will come for them if they keep using slang. David, that's the second time you said oi tonight. Say it a third time. And an unintentional cyclops will come in the night with an empty cello case. You know why it's empty? Because he can fit you inside it. But here's what I think really happened. I interrupted him in the middle of looking for the man that killed his brother. His brother. Huh? They're part of the huh? gang. <laughs> and that man was in New York at that very moment, interacting with two British people who accidentally said, yo. And then a black dude wearing all white turned around. <laughs> wearing an eyeball and a necklace. And he was like, <laughs> In Closate, I want to do a character for you real quick and get a heck out of here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be employed on the show, but you never know, you know, so I always try to work on a couple characters because you never know when Saturday Night Live is going to need more black men to play all the black women. <laughs> So this is one character I have. This is an old black southern woman in the water about to attack you. 
old black southern woman in the water about to attack you. And right when you're like, someone from Atlanta agrees with me. Finally. That's when you're going down. All right, thank you very much, everybody. Back to the one and only Chris Hardwick. keep the show moving. Uh, your next performer has been on at midnight a bunch and she's always amazing on it. She's going to be on again on Wednesday, June 10th. Uh, she is also in a film this summer uh, called Slow Learners and uh, her Twitter handle is at Megan Nuringer at Megan Nuringer. Please welcome to the stage the amazing Megan Nuringer! <laughs> so much fun. You guys, this is really fun. Have you had the pizza rolls? Have you had it? What are you going to pick? Totino's. Don't say Hot Pockets tonight. What are you going to pick? Totino's. It's like a little egg roll filled with American goop. Enjoy. Um, I'm really happy to be here. I am... Are you, are you drunk? I'm not, but, you know, are you? Uh, I do like drinking, I'll admit it, um, because, you know, I like to make the feelings not. Um, it feels good to not feel. Um, but I think what I really enjoy most about drinking is getting carded. <laughs> yes, I live in L.A., and nothing feels better to a woman than getting carded. <laughs> um, and uh, it happened to me recently... I was at the supermarket, and uh, I had a six-pack of Mike's Hard Lemonade, and I took it to the cashier, and she asked for my ID, as has been happening, and uh, I gave it to her, and she looks at me, and she looks at the ID, and she looks at me, and then she says, oh, I'm so sorry, ma'am, you are too old to be drinking this bullshit. So I got two six-packs and felt like a tween. <laughs> um, it was good. I, uh, you know, I am... Well, the reason that I... Well, I'm getting a divorce. Wow, you guys, I'm not married. <laughs> I just know eventually it's going to happen. <laughs> no Oz, right? Are you guys married? Anybody married? Really? Wow, trying to spice up the marriage with a little comedy. Wow, good luck to you. God bless, good luck to you. The odds, not in your favor. I mean, over half of the people who clapped, you're going to have to split property. I don't know. It's rough, right? Too dark? No. Those are the facts. Um, relationships are very difficult. You know, I, uh, I recently had a breakup, and, well, it's because he liked to travel a lot, and um, not in other women's pussies. <laughs> 
Um, but thank you for assuming. <laughs> no, he like actually liked to physically travel out of the country and um, didn't take me with him, and that is tough. You know, I remember he told me he was going to go to Paris, Paris, France. You know, Paris, France. You know, Paris without me, Paris. Come on, you know what it's famous for. So, I uh, I looked at him and I said, "If you come back, and you're a mime." <laughs> don't bother coming back. <laughs> and his jaw dropped and he just looked at me silent. <laughs> and I knew it was too late. <laughs> it's too late. Uh, but what really broke us is he, uh, he wanted to go to Brazil. Now, Brazil, like, they are very famous there, the women. Very famous for the wax. The wax. The, all the way around, the wax. They, the wax, they remove your butthole. <laughs> all the way around. Butthole is very unseemly on a woman. I don't know if you know that. They take the whole thing, rip it off. You guys, they are so hairless in Brazil that they don't have a word for dingleberry in Portuguese. <laughs> Permission to Google it. They don't. That was it. They don't. They just don't have. So I was like, "Ugh, can't do it." Um, and we just—it didn't work between us. Um, I'm very low maintenance. Uh, but I realized with all his travel that you know I am xenophobic, yeah. which means that I have a fear of using pretentious words incorrectly. <laughs> and if you don't get that joke. You're fucking stupid. <laughs> and you need to get the hell out of my country. Okay? Um, I'm originally from New York. Um, it's great, but uh, now I'm in L.A. And I love it. I say I love it. I love it because I want friends. You know, I can't, I have to stop saying it's not for me because that's lonely. So I, I love LA. I'm so happy I'm here. It's, it's really fun. You guys, like, um, you LAers, and we're all transplants, I get it. But, you know, the, the culture here, like, loves to eat healthy. It loves its, like, green juice in a sippy cup. It loves diarrhea is what it likes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just like I'm constantly, like, chewing my cud because I'm like, only eating greens. But, um... I have to say, somebody owns a cow. Somebody in the back owns a cow. Thank you. Um, uh, but I do have to say, I have to say, when I, I, when I, you know, when I eat organic food, I just, I do feel better, you know, than everyone. <laughs> Especially poor people. Because they can't really afford that shit. I got one up on them. Um, but I do. I love to eat. I just, like, do it every day, three times a day, sometimes four, five, fifth meal, you know? Um, it goes in. It comes out. My body works. Uh, I love it. Um, and I think about food all the time, you know? It's just, like, women are starving. But I think about food all the time. And I did. I invented the perfect sandwich. So I'll let you know what it is. Um, against your will, if you don't want to know, but I will. But... So the perfect sandwich is turkey, lettuce, tomato, Swiss, black guy, me, white guy, rye bread. <laughs> uh, 
it is so good. (laughs) But my dad hates it. (laughs) He is from Westchester. Um, Hates it. Uh, You guys okay? Do you want to go? Do you want to? Do you want to have a? T- you want to have a turn? Okay. You're right. Um, this is a good time to tell you my period is late. No, my unwanted pregnancy is early. I'm just kidding, you guys. I'm actually really bad at sex. I am. I'm, I'm really bad at sex. I thought that doggy style was when you got a treat after. <laughs> it's not. I was like, what? 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 Um, and, like, I get really nervous. I get, like, so nervous about it that, like, I've had to now, like, do what, like, those, like, calming techniques, like, they tell you to do and you're going to, like talk to a lot of people so now whenever I have sex I just imagine my partner is naked (laughs) so I don't freak out but now I'm like grossed out because like his jennies are on the outside (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I'm not nervous Uh, yeah I'm like one of I like I could literally be like shellacked in jizz and like ask the guy did you come (laughs) I, I don't know did you um If you get along with an ex, the sex was bad. (laughs) If you're like one of those people who's like, I'm best friends with my ex. I'm like, you didn't come. (laughs) You faked it. Because if you like have that like, like burnt bridges, you know, like never talking again, that was a good sex relationship. (laughs) You can never see them again. Um... You know, I mean, I've had a lot of breakups, you know, and I, I realized that if you're ever heartbroken, don't say that. Instead say, you're hoboken. Because you'll get a lot more sympathy. People will be like, oh, girl, I've been there. It sucks. Now, that is a very East Coast, New York, tri-state joke. Um, And I'm new to L.A., so I want to make that joke good for us, you know? So what is a shitty city in L.A. outskirts? Glendale. Glendale. Well, we started a riot. Uh, No, well, that's... uh, If you're ever heartbroken, don't say that. Instead, say, you're Glendale. Because you'll get a lot more sympathy. People will be like, ooh, girl. That sucks. I've been there. What's shittier than Glendale with, like, maybe some hard consonants? Valencia. If you're ever heartbroken, don't say that. Instead, say, you're Valencia. People will be like, oh, girl, that sucks. I've been there. Valencia. Not the hardest consonant. It, it's just not Hoboken. Oxnard. Oxnard? Oh, yeah. 
If you're ever heartbroken, don't say that. Instead, say, you're Oxnard. People will be like, ooh, girl, that sucks. I've been there. It sucks? I reversed it. But Oxnard, great. Thank you. Um, I will leave you with this. Do you guys like karaoke? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you! Um, That's not the joke. I hate karaoke. I think it's the worst. For me, like, karaoke is like going golfing with no arms. Like, four! I can't play! Um, But my friends love to party, and they make me go with them, and they want me to party with them, so I do it. But I have this technique so I can tolerate it, which is I sing the exact same song as the person who went before me. (laughs) But in deaf voice. always Aerosmith Um, and you guys can laugh at that joke because no deaf person has ever heard it and been offended (laughs) thank you guys so much and now you're in for a special treat if you've ever heard this Nerdist podcast thing before um You uh, may have heard this fellow laughing in the background of the Nerdist podcast. But it turns out he's a person with a voice and feelings and ideas. Uh, He has a comedy album out called Pizza Night. And his... Are you clapping at the album or Pizza Night? Did you just hear Pizza Night? You're like, fuck, pizza? Totino's Pizza Roll Night. Oh my God, a branding opportunity! Um... Uh, and also, he co-runs the open mic night uh, here at Meltdown. He's a wonderful fellow and one of my dear friends. His Twitter handle is at Kyle Clark is rad. Please welcome Kyle Clark. So this is what I look like. It's like super disappointing, right? Like oh. Like the others. There's a uniform of person. We're trying to figure out the ideal white male. Smaller, shorter, wider, meaner, nicer, however you want to go with it. I'll be honest, guys, this is weird. But not for the reason you guys think, but because I am performing on a stage I have actively taken more than one nap on. Like, you guys leave tonight and then I get out a sleeping bag. And I'm like, that went well, I hope. <laughs> and that's a weird feeling, to be in like a high-pressure situation where you're the most comfortable. <laughs> it's like taking like the LSATs, but you do it in a hammock. <laughs> They're like, this is going to decide your future, but we want you to just maybe take a nap in the middle. There's a nice beam of sunlight coming through. If you feel like just curling up like a kitty cat, go right ahead. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is fun. And I mean, it's, it's great. It's, but I bought a mattress pad. 
It's like four inches thick of pure memory foam. So like 70% of me is here tonight. And 30% of me is like, when do we get back to the mattress pad? So hear me out. We could watch the rest of this show. And it'll be great. Just everyone's talented, so much hard work went in, or... We could all get back in my Acura. I'm parked around the corner. And we all drive back to Simi Valley. We crawl into my bed. I mean, at this point, once you've watched Baron Vaughn, everybody's bros. It's just... That's a fact. It's in the comedy constitution. 100-person snuggle. I turn on the food network. It doesn't even matter what's on. It's all quality programming. And then I just start throwing out boxes of Triscuits, and we just snuggle and eat Triscuits in bed and watch, I hope, Chopped. But I mean, if it's Restaurant Impossible, I ain't mad. So what I'm going to do is, after my set, I'm going to hand out slips of paper, and if we can all unanimously agree to bail on this incredibly great comedy show and instead just snuggle up and just snuggle all night, then we'll just do that. And people will be like, this is strange, but he was right. (laughs) I am from Southern California. Do we have anybody else here who's from Southern California? It's great, right? I am second generation, and that's a rare thing, because the beautiful thing about being from Southern California and being from Los Angeles is you don't have to be interesting. (laughs) Interesting people move here, and then you get their life story over lunch, and then their plan fails. (laughs) They move, you've got a new backstory. Yeah, I grew up on a farm. Oh, what a farm it was. We farmed so much. Oh, to think about all that farm, farm, farm. What's a farm? Here we just have deserts and desperation. But I love it. I found, though, uh, my girlfriend is from the South. And sometimes she says I get too California for her. And it's because she's not had some of the life experiences I've had. And some of us in this room have, I feel like, if you live here. Uh, For example, she has never worn shorts to a funeral. (laughs) Look, I'm not disrespectful. They were tastefully pressed black cargo shorts. My uncle died in the summertime. I'm not not going to (laughs) go. He was buried in very similar cargo shorts. They went well with his Hawaiian shirt, which I was also wearing. My dead uncle is Jimmy Buffett. Uh, My mother, uh, she is from here, but she grew up part of her life in uh, uh, Iowa. Do we have any Iowans here? That one. Fuck yeah. Did we get that on the tape? That was an audible high five. Rest of the comedians, might I recommend, just start high-fiving the audience. Fuck comedy. Just being a guy who can stand on stage and high-five people. Now that's a gig. Uh, But yeah, so she was like, look, 
I need you guys to not be gross Los Angeles people. You need to see how other people live. It was probably because my brother and I had said the sentence, hey, let's put the Sublime Tribute Band back together. (laughs) I feel like our sounds are needed now more than ever. So we go to Iowa, and I got to see what Iowa is like, and it turns out flat, and there's some stuff. It's not like here where there's like a cool neighborhood. There, there's a field, and then there's a cooler field. <laughs> and rent is still super cheap in the cooler field. Uh, but we go, and you get to see signs like this. We're driving down the road, and we see a sign that says, Five miles to the murder house. <laughs> and that really raises more questions than it answers. <laughs> So then, you keep driving and you see a sign that says, Three miles to the murder house! Which is great, because it means we're getting closer. (laughs) And then it says, Turn here for the murder house! So I start kicking the back of my dad's seat who's driving, and go, Turn now! So we turn. I don't know what's going to be there. For all I know, it's like a guy in overalls holding a hatchet who just murders my dad. And it's just like, I'm the world's laziest serial killer. You would not believe how many times that sign works. You people cannot stop turning out of curiosity. And now I'm going to eat your skin. But it wasn't that. What it was was a homemade museum. Now, none of you saw that coming. Because no one ever expects a homemade museum to be a thing that exists. Because they shouldn't. So we go, and it's just one room full of artifacts and a dude who's just like, let me know when you want to watch the tape. (laughs) Now the tape, ladies and gentlemen, oh, the tape. He has to know because he has to manually control the tracking because this was made in 1991 and there is only one copy. And it's about this woman, Abby Gardner, who was kidnapped by, oh, phone. Oh, no. Uh, Anyways, murder. It's okay. That is just going the fuck off. I would expect this out of literally anyone else in the front row. We high-fived. I can't undo that. That's a sacred bond. Remember I had that hot riff about just becoming a professional high-fiver? It's all gone now. How's this side of the room doing? Because I've forgotten how to trust. You know what? All right, we're back. We're back at the murder house. Remember that? We're watching the tape. He gives the narrative, and it's a a whole thing about how this white woman was kidnapped by Indians, and there used to be books where that was just the plot, and the horror of these old novels was that they then saw them as people. And those were like bestsellers in the same time as Huckleberry Finn. Now, before we get judgy, understand... We don't always do what's best in culture. So those people did that. I haven't seen The Wire, but I've definitely watched the same episode of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives before. (laughs) They had a lot, like, I went to more than one homemade museum during my time in Iowa. Because once you find one, they just start appearing. And so I went to another one that was all vintage boats. (laughs) In a landlocked state, let's establish that. So you're just looking at wood-paneled cigarette boats. And there's just mannequins on them having a great time. And one mannequin was surrounded by a bunch of lady mannequins. And I was like, oh, that mannequin chills. All he's missing is S and a D. And my family all stopped and looked at me. 
And they said, what? And I was like, yeah, S and a D, spark and a doob. Or doobie. And my mom was like, that's not what that's ever meant. I was like, what does it mean then? And she's like, sucking a dick. No one has ever said S and a D with the implication that you were sparking a doobie. Not even a member of the Doobie Brothers has said that. So with that shame, we continued on. We went to an event called the Thresherman's Festival, which my brother and I quickly renamed Threshfest, because that's way more punk rock. And we were going to do a punk eye for the state of Iowa thing, that 2005 reference. Uh, and so we go, and like, then we're like, we're going to start a band called Silo Explosion. Sing about the plight of soybean farmers and be vegan or something. Uh, and that's where I found out, ladies and gentlemen, I will leave you with this. Uh, we on the coast are paying full boat retail for livestock. <laughs> because I went to a place where uh, there's a room where they're selling animals, and they're selling two things in this particular room. One, there was just a basket of cats. <laughs> and they're not cats that you name mittens and put on Instagram. These are cats that you pick up with a ladle, put into a burlap sack, and then dump in a barn so that they can eat mice until they die. Don't feel bad. That's a great life. That's what cats did before we took pictures of them. That's what every cat wants. But more importantly, ladies and gentlemen, it was on that day that I saw the greatest thing I've ever seen, and that was a $75 horse. Now, I don't presume the equestrian nature of the room, but that's way more than horses cost. Or way less, way less than horses cost. Sorry, I get so distracted by a bargain. <laughs> and I'm looking at the horse, and the man walks up to me and goes, are you interested in this horse? And I say, of course, of course. <laughs> what can you tell me about this horse? And he's like, well, do you know how fast it goes? I'm like, how fast? And he's like, one horsepower. <laughs> because it's one horse. And I was like, that's amazing. He's like, it sure is. What is it going to take for me to get you to gallop away on this horse today? I'm like, well, sir, I have a problem. I flew to this state, and I cannot throw a horse in a suitcase. Both because it's cruel, but mostly because that'll for sure be the bag that TSA checks. Because when you hear a piece of luggage whinny, questions are raised. He's like, tell you what, sir. If you buy this horse today, I will throw in this burlap sack of cats. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Kyle Clark, the Nerdist Podcast's own walk-around Muppet. Uh, your next performer uh, has a podcast called Put Your Hands Together. She has an album called Same Sex Symbol. Her Twitter handle is at Cameron Esposito. Please welcome to the stage, Cameron Esposito! Please keep it going for Chris! Chris Hardwick! Hi. Hello. Hi. Great job. We did it. You guys, what a night we're having. We're, we're making an, an art together. I'm happy about it. My hair looks amazing. 
thank you. And yes, already you've had a moment to evaluate me, so I'll answer some questions. Of course. Of course. Of course. As you can tell by my haircut, I am a Thundercat. (laughs) And also a giant lesbian. For sure I am. Absolutely. Sometimes it's okay to judge a book by its very gay cover. If you see a book and that book has a side mullet, that book is a lesbian. odd is that sometimes people still think it is negative to be gay and also be perceived as gay. I was walking on stage not too long ago. Before I even hit the mic, this dude in the audience, he just yelled out at me, you look like a woman that doesn't sleep with man. (laughs) He yelled that at me. Like as if I don't know. Like I'd been in a terrible accident on the way to the show. Like he thought I was going to be like, what do you mean? Is it the vest? I was wearing a vest. I was wearing a vest. Yeah. I look like a woman doesn't sleep with men because I'm a lesbian. And not sleeping with men is one of the biggest parts (laughs) of being a lesbian. It's also not something I'm bummed about. He yelled at me like it was an insult. Oh, I gotcha! I don't feel sad about this at all! Every night I just go home, I'm like, not tonight again! (laughs) I love not. It's such a weird insult. Try to yell at somebody. You can't go up to somebody that's a part of a minority group and yell at them as if it is an insult, a positive part of being in that minority group. You can't go up to a black person and be like, I bet you don't burn in the sun. <laughs> Am I right? Because of the natural sunscreen provided to you by the universe? Oh, you are never going to wrinkle. <laughs> you will look good forever. <laughs> Does that person be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Which is how I felt that night. Because here's the thing, I'm not bummed about this look. If you're a dude out there and you're like, I'm not sure if I'm into that. Well, sir, there's no chance (laughs) that you are less into me than I am into you. Because I'm not into you at all. This shit is on purpose to attract a woman, and it works. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I finally arrived. It took a long time for me to get here. I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was gay until I was 20. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I know zero gay people. I didn't even know that gay was a real thing. I honestly think it would have been as difficult for me to realize I was a lesbian as it would have been for me to realize I was a leprechaun. Like gays, <laughs> leprechauns, I thought they were mythical creatures for parades with hats and buckles and some of that's true (laughs) 
I didn't know they were a thing you could be. I'm so happy the way I turned out. I love the way I dress. I love my hair. It accurately conveys, it accurately conveys to the world my gender. My gender being fighter pilot. <laughs> Now, equal marriage, that's going to that's gonna come up in the Supreme Court like in the next few weeks, which is nuts. I'm engaged right now. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, and sorry. <laughs> Sometimes when people talk about their opposition to equal marriage, they'll, they'll say something like, uh, What? Wait a minute. Come on now. We can't let gays get married. Gays get married, kids will know about gays. <laughs> I always want to be like, where do you think gay adults came from? <laughs> like, I didn't spring fully formed from the forehead of gay Zeus. <laughs> I was a little gay kid. There are little gay kids. You should tell kids that gay people exist so that little gay kids know what the fuck they are. Like, I lived in the suburbs of Chicago. I wore a coonskin cap. Seven days a week. I'm still sort of wearing one. Do you know how helpful it would have been if somebody had been like, listen, David Crockett, there might be a reason for all this. That would have helped me out. I also... You guys... Not only did I wear a coonskin cap seven days a week, little gay kid, didn't know she was gay, but also when I was a child, I had crossed eyes. Yeah. And I had to wear an eye patch for eight years of my childhood. Right, so there's probably no particular reason why I'm funny. No, that's not true. If you're a little pirate kid, you better sell the shit out of it. <laughs> I say pirate so you guys are going to imagine that I had like the black with the thing around the head like a Johnny Depp action figure or like a Halloween costume or like a weird Urban Outfitters jewelry selection. <laughs> so I'm in Urban Outfitters and I'm like, I like this, but... But is it a top or a bottom? I want to try it on, but I don't know where to put it. Can't you just see them selling like a, like a face fanny pack? It's like an eye patch with just one little zipper. And it just, it just holds like one little quarter. But then you're so jazzed if you get to make exact change. Oh, you know what? I actually have that. <laughs> you can keep it. <laughs> No, I didn't wear a cool face fanny pack. That would have been chill. Uh Uh-uh. No, if you're a little kid with crossed eyes, you don't wear that cool pirate patch. You wear a flesh-toned, disposable, band-aid material eye patch. When you wear it on your face, it just looks like more skin. You look like sloth from the Goonies, but a little girl. And to soften the blow of the patches, the company that made the patches they put in the box, the patches they put these stickers. Because I think they thought kids were going to go to school and be like, oh, you, oh, you got a Lisa Frank? Iridescent pony? Are you Trapper Keeper? 
Oh yeah, well I got, well, I got to stick on my patch. <laughs> but they didn't even make the right kind of stickers for that to be possible. They didn't make cool iridescent ponies. They made these tiny circular farm vignettes. <laughs> Like, it would be like a deer drinking from a brook and then a silo and an owl. And they were printed in only navy blue, tan, and brown. You're supposed to take that drab diorama and pop it on your flesh flap with your glasses, braces, bowl cut, and coonskin cap carrying the quiver of bow and arrows you whittled yourself on your back and go and succeed at fourth grade. Shit was rough. I turned out amazing. tell you guys how happy I am to be living right now, working right now, touring the country right now. You know, when I came out almost 15 years ago, I was studying at a Catholic college that did not include sexual orientation in its non-discrimination policy. I could have been kicked out of school for being gay. When I told my parents, they cried for five years, just like, still gay, yes! (laughs) I didn't know that I could have a positive future. I didn't have any role models or anyone that I knew that was out and gay and lived a happy life and now 15 years later I tour the country and I just wear a little teeny vest and I'm like I'm gonna get married and you guys are like yay and that's amazing that's amazing I think that uh, it's weird that you didn't clap then you realize that <laughs> I know you were like waiting for me to say more but you can go ahead and weigh in on that Like, it's legitimately not, I'm worried for you. And me, am I gonna get out of here? (laughs) Keep going, lesbian. We'll get you when it's over. (laughs) You guys just lying in wait. Don't worry. I'm a great fighter. I'm not a good fighter. I'm so small. I'm so small. But I'll go between your legs like so quick. (laughs) I have to be real with you. You're literally like the only audience that hasn't clapped in that in like the last year. I tour, I tour all, like almost every day. I perform in a different... I, I was in Indiana two weeks, two nights ago. Indiana! They have laws against me! And they were like, this woman is a future! And you bastards! You comic book bastards! I'm sweating in a leather vest for you motherfuckers! This is leather! she says at the end I'm not sure how I feel about rights to be honest (laughs) I had like a whole big closer but there's a long show and I'm not gonna mess it up for the people behind me so literally the end of my set on this podcast and also in your hearts is going to be me chastising you (laughs) 
at yourselves! <laughs> you people. With your symmetrical haircuts, I see you! I have nothing else to say. You are terrible. Please personally bow before me on your way out of the show. Because <laughs> I'm Cameron Esposito. <laughs> What if I was like, another hand for Cameron Esposito, and then you just didn't clap? <laughs> that would be really shitty if you did that. <laughs> uh, your next performer. Well, this is very exciting. So we did a, uh, we did a, a, a search uh, through Nurse.com, and through and which Totino sponsored, and uh, we had people submit two to four minute sets, and we uh, we chose a winner for this uh, for this favorite comedian comedy search. And this spot is not only here tonight, but uh, this person will also be uh, doing an opening spot for me at Comic Con in San Diego, uh, which is very exciting. And I asked him what he wanted me to write, and he wrote, "Say anything you like. Say anything you like." So this next performer killed John Wilkes Booth by throwing a whale at him after he built a time machine out of Cadbury eggs. Please welcome to the stage, Carlos Delgado! Hey, thanks. Thanks, everybody. It's, uh, it's really great to be here. I'm really excited. Uh, yeah, I won, I won this awesome contest, and uh, the thing is, I... I didn't, I forgot I submitted to it. <laughs> so just randomly in the middle of the week, Totino's Pizza Rolls tweeted at me. <laughs> and they were like, hey, are you Carlos Delgado? And my immediate thought was like, how much have I let myself go? <laughs> that food tweets me first. Uh, I'm, really, I'm really happy to be here. I'm really happy to be anywhere that's not uh, my day job. Because uh, I, I work in an office that's an equal opportunity employer. But they try to remind you of that a little bit too much. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me give you an example. My boss walked up to me recently and she was like, Carlos, I don't know if you know this. But today is Diversity Celebration Day. Could you give a speech? about being gay and Mexican in a corporate environment, would that make you feel uncomfortable? And honestly, uh, it did make me feel uncomfortable because I am neither of those things. But I gave him one hell of a speech, you know? <laughs> like, ladies and gentlemen, you know the only thing that I love more than tacos is cock. You know this. 
and I will demonstrate in this PowerPoint presentation <laughs> called Taco V. Cock the Reckoning. I uh, I grew up in uh, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, which is my it's my hometown. And I, don't don't cheer. <laughs> Every time you cheer for Newark, a window is smashed. <laughs> Just don't 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 do it. I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, which is right outside of New York City, which is where I live. And uh, if New York City is the Big Apple, Newark is the big yo. Let me hold that apple though. Like that is totally what it is. But a little bit of history, like if you don't know, Newark is the home of Whitney Houston, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, and uh, carjacking, like all of, all of carjacking. Uh, when I was growing up, I was lucky enough to go to uh, a, a magnet school. You guys know what a magnet school is, right? Yeah, it's cool. A magnet school is a school where you take a test, and if you pass the test, you get to be the only non-white kid in school. It's amazing. It's perfect. It's true. It sucked because it was it was like all white. It was you know pretty pretty touch and go for a while. Like every day in school, I would get called a spick or a wetback, and I feel like there are better ways to take attendance. You know, like just generally, <laughs> generally speaking. <sighs> okay, I. Uh, I know uh, we mentioned uh, student loans. I went to college as well, and uh, I studied psychology as my, as my major. I know. That's why I do comedy now. <laughs> I did, and I focused on uh, sexuality, gender study, and I really, really focused on nature versus nurture as an argument. And I'm going to bring it down for a level, all right? I'm just going to bring it down. I definitely think that each side of the argument has its valid points. Like, nature will define a lot of things about you, what you're born with, you know, all these kinds of things. But nurture should not be discounted, Right? Like, did you know that Snooki of the Jersey Shore was actually born in Chile, South America, but she was adopted and raised by a plate of linguine? Did you know that? It's true. I, uh, I live in New York, which is which is awesome. Uh, I used to uh, I used to party a lot when I was in New York City. Uh, New York has a way of turning like a regular habit into a problem. You know, like you can have you can have a glass of wine every night, but then you move to New York and you're just doing meth. Like it, you just it just escalates very quickly. Uh, there's something kind of weirdly magical about drinking in New York City. I don't know if anybody's ever been, but it doesn't matter what part of town you're in or what borough you're in. If you drink enough, you will wake up in Coney Island. Like, that's just a guaranteed fact. It's a guaranteed fact. I used, to, I used to drink a lot. I got in trouble a lot with the law when I was drinking. And uh, I don't drink anymore, which is fine. But I remember I, I was partying so much that it totally fucked with the way I saw the world. Like, I got a DUI. And then I represented myself in court for my own DUI. <laughs> I was like, I took the LSATs. I got this. I did not got this. I did not got this at all. I would have been better prepared if I just pretended to be a Southern lawyer. Do you understand? Like, yo, Awano, for the sake of argument, what is alcohol? No sense. No sense at all. Uh, There is a threat right now in New York City. The threat of manspreading. I don't know if you guys know this. You guys don't have a subway system here, but I'll explain very quickly. 
Manspreading is the act of sitting in a seat and then presenting, <laughs> spreading your legs and taking up two, even maybe three seats at a time. <laughs> yes, rude. <laughs> Completely rude. Tom Hanks was caught manspreading on camera. He was shamed online on all the blogs, right? And his defense, he said, well, the subway was empty. And I'm Tom fucking Hanks. <laughs> Uh, I think there's a... I'll tell you guys this really quick because it's... I feel like you guys would enjoy this. Because um, you're smart. I like you. <laughs> you guys know what a defining moment is? Right? Defin- a defining moment is a, a situation where, based on how you act, you know what kind of person you are. Right? Like if you leave an oppressive religion, if you quit a shitty career-ending job, if you're a frat guy, you see a girl passed out, you say, you know what, this time I will use a condom. Like these are all... <laughs> defining moments. <laughs> My defining moment actually happened on a New York City subway uh, during a heat wave, right? I was on the subway during a heat wave. The air conditioning was not working, right? This girl wearing the most beautiful polka dot dress I've ever seen had heat stroke. And I don't even if you know if you know what happens with heat stroke is you faint, but you also vomit, like, all over yourself. And this girl planted, just, ugh, vomited and passed out. But then there was this, like, big, clearly touristy southern black guy who, like, guardian angel caught her before she hit the ground. And then he looked up, and he was like, ladies and gentlemen, it appears this girl has a case of the vipers. (laughs) Have we no gentlemen here to assist? I repeat, this is not a ruse or a ruse-type situation. And I was like, oh, shit, Foghorn Langhorn. Yeah, man. (laughs) Fuck yeah, man. Let me get in on this. I got this. So I get up. I'm like, what do we need? He's like, assistance. I'm like, all right, I got that part. So, like, I run to the conductor box, and I push the button, and then just this voice comes on. He's like, eh, what do you want? I'm like, Joe Pesci, is that you? (laughs) He's like... No. And so I'm like, all right, man, look, there's this girl. She passed out. I don't know. She's not okay. This is not a ruse or a ruse type situation. We just, like, we need some help. You know? And he's just like, all right, there's going to be help. You stutter and prick. I'm like, all right, thanks, Joe. And then, like, I run back. And I, I run back to the situation at hand, and the girl woke up, and she's on the ground, and she's covered in vomit. She doesn't look good, but she's awake. But then, this is New York City. Now, people have their phones out. Yeah. And this is underground. No service. This is premeditated shaming. Do you understand? Like, they're taking pictures to post later, which is atrocious. So I did the only thing I know how to do, which is draw as much attention to myself as possible. <laughs> so like, I opened up my shirt. I had, like, a, like, a hippie lean, like, and I was, like, a hippie, like this, kind of, like, half bent over. And I said this verbatim on a crowded train. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I am not homeless. I am not starving. I am asking for donations to fulfill my lifelong dream of becoming a Viking. Now, before you say anything, With enough donations, I can chill these hot Latin veins of mine and become a frozen warrior of the North. 
Now, I accept donations in the form of $2 bills, Victoria's Secret gift cards, or the feather of a newborn dove. I will be walking around, hands open, heart closed. Praise Allah, Buddha, or whichever mental construct gets you through your day. Thank you. And then the train stops, and the doors open, and the paramedics are there waiting. And before I run out, I look down at the girl in the polka dot dress who looks back up at me and just wordlessly mouths, thank you. And that was my defining moment. And this is where you clap. Thank you very much, Meltdown. Thank you, Nerdist. whose uh, Twitter handle is at I'm Carlos Delgado. At I'm Carlos Delgado. Your next performer is uh, a good friend of mine because he happens to be a writer's assistant on, uh, or actually our writer's assistant on At Midnight. Um, he's... Uh, what, what did you want me to say about you specifically, Dave? Uh, okay, he's at Dave underscore Thomason, and uh, you may have seen him on Adam Devine's House Party on Comedy Central. He's a wonderful man. He's incredibly funny. He helps ensure that we deliver fresh episodes of At Midnight to you Monday through Thursday. It's Dave Thomason! Hi, guys. It's me. Hello. Guys, it's funny, Chris mentioned the puppies because uh, me and my lady, we just got a dog. Did you know that? We did. We just got a dog. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have ever gotten a dog with a significant other, but when we got him, a lot of my friends were like, oh, Dave, you know, that's a real serious commitment. Dogs, they can live 13 or 14 years. Are you guys ready for that series of a commitment? And uh, me and my lady had a long talk, and we got a 10-year-old dog. Um, <laughs> which I think is what you do. When we got the dog, too, a lot of my friends thought that that was my lady's way of getting me ready to have a kid, right? Uh, which I hope is not the case. You know, I don't, I don't want a kid. Uh, I mean, you know, I know why people have kids. I know at some point in every relationship, you're like, hey, I've been dating this person for so long, I've slowly pushed away all my close friends. Let's make some new people to hang out with. Um, right? And I understand that I'm not there yet, but my friends with kids will know that I think that, and then they'll try to pitch it to me why it's a good idea to have kids. You know, they'll be like, oh, Dave. You don't understand. You're, this baby, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I'm like, well, dude, that's my whole point. Like, if you had waited, better shit would have happened to you. Like, don't you see? Live it up. I want to be able to look at my baby and go, well, I've done better than this. I'm... It doesn't matter how he pans out. I'm awesome. And then... I just want to live my life a little because I, you know, I grew up in a very plain and a boring town with a lot of white people. I've thought about it, probably too many white people. Uh, to give you an idea, in high school, I was in a ska band. Um, yeah. Which, if you don't know what ska is, uh, it's punk rock with horns. Um, it's the sound that plays in a fat teenager's head when you tell him good news. So... Does that make sense? So if you can imagine like a chubby ninth grader going into a fast food place and then being like, hey, we accidentally put a mozzarella stick in your french fries. Keep it, buddy. It's just... 
that make sense? That make sense? Yeah. Did that for several years. I've tried to branch out a little musically since I left town. I went to a couple rap concerts this year, and uh, I didn't fit in, surprisingly. That's, um, it got me thinking, though, what could I do at a rap show? You know, what would I fit in? What would, what would be my ideal role at a rap show? And I think I figured it out. I think I'd be good as, like, the opposite of a hype man, you know? Like, if I could come out after a rapper is done, and just sort of settle everyone down, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Just sort of get everybody back in line. Because a rap concert, everybody's having fun, bouncing off the walls, and the concert's over. They need a downer, right? People need someone like me to come out and be like, all right, that was fun. But let's all remember, we got to go to work tomorrow, huh? Let's pull our hands from the air. Take ten calming breaths together. Think I'll be good at it. The other problem with the rap show, too, is all the guys there are, like, hyper-masculine. And I'm not, you know, I'm not very manly. Uh, If I ever try to be, I just end up embarrassing myself. Like, uh, I was at the mechanic the other day. I had to bring my car there. And uh, I always, that's a perfect place for me to be emasculated because I don't know about cars and I think I'm supposed to because I have a penis or something. But they'll just lie to me there. Like, this guy was telling me I needed all these big, expensive repairs, but I need my car by that night to go to a show. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put my foot down and say something that a man, a theoretical man might say. And so what my brain settled on for some reason was, hey, if my car isn't done by 5 p.m., I'm going to chew you out. But instead of chew, I said eat, which is like, it's similar, but it's different. Very different. Uh, Yeah. But my car was done by 3 p.m. I mean, my car was done much faster, if I can be honest with you. It worked. You can just threaten them with romance and that'll speed up the service. They'll be like, hey, make it snappy, boys, or else some guy's gonna come in here and make us feel real pretty in a little bit. I don't really care that, I mean, I don't really mind that I said that. I didn't really think it was that embarrassing. I'm comfortable with my sexuality, everybody, all right? I know myself. Like, I like women. I have a, I have a, a, a fiance that I love, but I made the realization recently that I don't even know if I like vaginas. All I know is that I don't like penises more. You know what I mean? So if you have a third thing, show it to me. Because, I mean, I'll give you a fair shot. Honestly, I might see and be like, oh, well, there it is. There's the thing. The pyramid with the four cubes or whatever. Yeah. Hey, it's me a boner. I'll take you back to my Corolla and I'll clap at it or whatever. Whatever would make you feel good. Whatever would get those cubes clacking back and forth. I just feel I just feel like I've seen my genital options and they're both gross to me. Both penises and vaginas. I don't uh, I don't like them. I feel you should all be ashamed of yourselves. They're both gross. I feel like I lean towards vaginas just because everything's out of you, you know, like Everything's kind of tucked, all the details are tucked inside. Penises, good lord, everything is out there all the time. In fact, the best part about vaginas is that they hide penises. That's one less penis. Every penis that's in a vagina, well, that's one less penis I gotta look at, you know? Like, oh, thankfully, that penis over there is safely inside a vagina. It's not gonna come flopping into my world and destroy my life.
That's why, to be honest, I don't, uh, I don't even like most porn because it's all just so graphic, you know? And the guys are so rude. Why are they so rude? They're so mean. This woman is nice enough to have sex with you and then you throw her from a bus? Why? Why? I can't relate to those guys because they don't have sex like I have sex. They don't say thanks ever. Did you know that? They never say thanks. I say thanks a lot during sex. I'm a very gracious lover. I'm just, that's just manners in my opinion. Even if I'm behind a girl, I'll still drop a thumbs up into her field of vision. Like a gentleman would. Like just a little... Hey. Status report. Just as so she can be like, oh, okay, yes, this makes me feel very... This, yes. This makes me feel very good. I'm glad things are going great back in coach. You know? That's why I don't like how most porn now is like point of view porn, because they'll just try to make you feel like you're the jerk guy. You know, because the whole time he's holding the camera and it's all shot from his perspective and then he'll look down and there's his penis. I never feel like that's my penis. I just feel like I'm sitting on his shoulders. You know what I mean? Like I'm a little kid at the county fair or something. Oh, what are you doing down there, champ? Look at you, you're going fast. too nice to relate to those guys. I'm a nice guy. I treat my lady right, you know? I try to, at least. I think I know how. Like, uh, this past Valentine's Day, I, I said, okay, I'm going to do something really nice. So I was like, I'm going to get us both very high. Um, <laughs> which is a big deal, because I don't get, I don't smoke weed at all. Like, when people offer me weed, I react like a, you know, like a suburban soccer mom at a Bluegrass in the Park concert. I'm like, oh, okay, mom, will get a little wacky tonight, you know? Like, I'm a big dork about it. So... But I thought, okay, well, this will be nice for me and the missus. This will be fun. So I thought, okay, I'll get edibles, right? Because I don't have weed accessories, you know? Shut up. I don't have... I don't have weed accessories, you know? I don't want to buy weed and then somebody be like, here's your weed, and they give me a bag of leaves. And I'm like, oh, oh shit. Now I got to go buy like a pipe and a bong and a skateboard and all this stuff. I don't want to do that, all right? I just want to be high. I don't want errands all of a sudden. So I think edibles are perfect. My friend, he's like, well, there's this dispensary and it's this like weed Willy Wonka shop. It's filled with all sorts of magical weed candies. I can get you something there. I said, that sounds great. I love magic. Let's do it. And so I get this chocolate bar Valentine's Day. I open it up and it's broken up into four squares. Now, what does that imply to you? That implies that a square is a serving, right? One square for one human being. Why else would you perforate it like that, right? But that's wrong. Because what I fail to acknowledge is that this is from the Weed Willy Wonka store. So this isn't made for regular people who want to become high. This is made for people who are high who want to become cartoons. You know? There's a warning on the pack that's like, don't eat this unless you're planning on becoming a talking cat with sunglasses and a Rasta hat because this will turn you to that. So I don't pay attention to that. I have a square. She has a square. I'm like, well, I'm bigger than you, so I should have another half square. That only makes sense. Shut up. So, <laughs> nothing happens for a while. I think this is a bust. I go about my business, and then all of a sudden, she's throwing up on the couch. And, uh, I mean, just everything. Just like the dinner from that night, the dinner from the night before, an old necklace she lost. Just, it's all out of her. And, like, I want to help her, but unfortunately, I've become detached from time. So, 
I'm in a new plane of existence all of a sudden. I'm in a tesseract of some sort. I can't, I can't help her from the fifth dimension. It's like, yeah, she's thrown up, but I'm also seeing her as a baby and her as an old woman, so... In the grand scheme of things, what's a little vomit, you know? I'm looking at the beauty of existence before me all of a sudden. I don't know, I just had to sit there shaking and sweating for 12 hours until I felt like a human again. I don't know how people get high, it was awful. And the worst part is, I still have a piece and a half of this wheat chocolate in my fridge staring at me. I don't know what to do with it. I'm scared of it. I think I'm just going to wait till Halloween and then give it to a kid I hate, you know? All right, thank you guys very much. I'm in Dave Thomason. Dave Thomason! Dave's really funny. We should let him talk in meetings more. I have an idea. Shut up and take these notes. I crack the whip. Uh, your next performer, this is really funny because he, uh, <laughs> okay, he just shot an hour special. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage the wonderful Al Jackson. Yes, all right. Clap it up for Chris. Yes, no, no, okay. All right. <laughs> We all. Uh, it's weird being backstage with Chris because I know he knows what's up with the next season of Walking Dead and I want to ask him. Uh, I'm trying to be an adult about it. I love that show. Uh, my only issue with The Walking Dead is I feel like that show needs a new diversity coordinator. <laughs> they filmed that show in Atlanta. Atlanta is a chocolate city. Yet every zombie looks like the first ten rows right here. Just a bunch of good-looking, well-adjusted white zombies. Nobody in Decatur got bit. Can I get a zombie with a gold grill in this bitch? I always say relate to the audience. I'm going to do that right now. Watch this. It's 10 years of comedy right here. Uh, I went to an all-black college in Jackson, Mississippi called Tougaloo. Yeah. I'm sure you guys can all relate to that. Uh, did y'all even know that they're all black colleges? <laughs> oh, black person for August, you cheated. That's all right. First of all, I'm not even mad. Tougaloo doesn't even sound like the name of a college. That sounds like something you yell at the end of a card game, like, Tougaloo, bitch, pay me. <laughs> pay me in fives. Uh, I went to an all black There were 800 kids in my school. 800. 800. It was almost like if everybody that was really serious about the University of Phoenix showed up one day. Like, let's just get a hard count. Uh, but I feel like this is the kind of shit that's got to happen to you for you to be a stand-up comic. You got to live like a weird life. And I'm from Cleveland originally, and I was too. Yeah, man. Where are you from? All right, that's you just pick two, three cities. All right, fuck it. I'm gonna keep saying one till it hits. That's. But no, I'm from Cleveland. I was too broke to go home to some of my junior year, so I stayed on campus, and I took a test that I thought was mandatory, but it wasn't, but I don't read, so I took it. <laughs> and what the test was, was if you got the highest score on the test, you got a chance to go to an Ivy League school for your last two years of college. And on an all-black campus, when 799 black kids go home for the summer, <laughs> I like my chances. <laughs> So by straight default, 
running a race of one. I got the highest score on the test. Thank you. I'll take a fake pity clap. I don't care if it sounds like I just sunk a putt in here. I went to Brown University for my last years. It was almost like the plot of the movie How High with Red Man and Method Man. <laughs> Except it happened for real. Like, this is not, this isn't a bit I'm doing. And I'm glad I got a chance to do it because that was the first time like I saw like real money. Like, this is LA. There's rich people here. That's fine. But we're talking about like, like real money, like wealth, like family money, like we don't talk about money, money. My roommate, cool ass dude named Abe, I've been on campus like two hours. He sits up in his bunk, but he goes, Oh shit, I forgot to pay my tuition this year. And I was like, How the fuck did you do that? <laughs> and he goes, Come take a walk with me, dog. And we went down to the Retro's office and he wrote a check for $79,000 in front of my Cleveland eyeballs. <laughs> like right in front of my face. He didn't prep me anything. Like, Hey man, I'm about to write some shit if you need to sit on a stool and brace yourself. I was 17. I probably hadn't, I probably hadn't seen $300 in cash at that point in my life. I remember sitting there like, oh, shit. I need to get a checkbook. I think if you get a checkbook, you can just write whatever you want. You got to get the book. That's the trick. But I'm glad, I'm glad I got a chance to go from an all-black college to an all-white college, uh, basically. Uh, because it gave me a chance to study white dudes. And here are my findings. I feel like white dudes don't take advantage of nor appreciate how many different kinds of white guy you get to be in your lifetime. It's amazing. There's so many kinds. And y'all don't give a fuck. I'll give you an example. Let's say you're like a senior in high school, right? You're a skinny band geek. You're getting shoved in lockers. People take your lunch money. Like, give me that shit, you fucking nerd. And you hate it. It's time to switch your white guy. It's what he do. Hit the weight room, put on 35 pounds of muscle, throw some action on your hair, get to college freshman year, now nah, you a frat dude. <laughs> Two white guys in one year. You doing keg stands, you calling people bro. You getting laid, but you don't like the frat player, do you? No! It's time to switch your white dude. <laughs> so what you do, drop out the frat, grow you some white boy dreads, get a couple reggae albums, start buying weed by the backpack, sell weed sophomore year, now you that white dude. <laughs> Three white dudes in two years. You making money, you live in the Rasta lifestyle, you find out where the best incense deals in the city are, you killing it! You on your third white dude in two years. But you don't like college, do you play it? No. You don't like the ivory tower. It's time to switch your white dude. So what you do? Drop out. Move to a farm in Portland. Sell your last pair of shoes. Cut up your debit card. Start eating carrots. Right out the fucking dirt. You killing it. You on your fourth white dude in three years. And then your dad calls and he goes, hey, boy, I'm sick. I need you to take care, take care of this family business we've been running for 50 years. And you say, guess what, dad? You in luck. I got one more white boy left in me. <laughs> Cut your dreads, get 10 business suits, two iPhones, move downtown. Now you a businessman. Five white dudes in four years. That's dope. 
black men do not have that option. Why you think there's no black mountain climbers? We want to feel wind on our face. I'll tell you why. Because every black dude in this room, me and Baron. At some point in our adolescent lives, we suggested a semi-white activity to our family. And that shit did not go over. That's why black people don't do shit. You 13, you don't know. You're at the beach with your family, like 13 years old. It's a picturesque day. You're at the beach, your favorite uncle's barbecue by the shoreline. You're hanging out. You're like, man, we're 13 years old. What a great day. Hey, uh, hey, uh, Uncle Mark, man, when you don't with those burgers, bro, uh, I don't know how to say this, but uh, I'm just going to say it, man. Uh, I don't know if this is the right word, but hey, uh, Uncle Mark, hey, I'm just going to say it. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Mark, there's a kayak over here. I ain't never been kayaking. And even at that point, you just know it's bad because your cousin just start surrounding your uncle just goes, what you say? <laughs> and you already trying to, even though you're 13, you're trying to take it back. I don't even want to go. I got hit in the head earlier with a pat. I'm a little loopy. I'm chilling. But at that point, it's too late. Your uncle just turns into Sam Jackson from Pulp Fiction. You're like, say it again. Say kayaking again. And I'm like, I just want to feel wind in my face. <laughs> Every black person knows if you suggest a white activity to your family and that does not go over, that's going to be your nickname for the next 30 years. <laughs> You'd be 51 years old, like, y'all want to go to the bar after the comedy show? Like, uh, ziplining over here wants to go to the bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go get your friend laying in the grass with no blanket. Tell him we're ready to go. <laughs> Being black, being what's considered black is a hard club to be in, man, because it changes, fluctuates. It's different every year. Think about, think about, think somebody like Wayne Brady, right? Like, Wayne Brady is as talented as a performer as you can be. He's a professional singer, professional dancer, professional comedian, hosts two game shows. Black people weren't showing up to see Wayne Brady till when? Yes, sir. Started doing the Chappelle show. Started acting like a pimp and a drug dealer. Now Wayne Brady's in the black club. Welcome back. <laughs> Take somebody else. Take like the beautiful actress Stacey Dash, who ironically is in the black club because she don't look black. Green eyes, light skin, long hair. She's in the black club till when? Came out as a conservative. Talked some shit about Obama on Fox News. Now she's out the black club. Let me see that ass one more time. So I think every year, just to make it fair, just to make it right, I think every black person should just have to take a test every year. <laughs> just so we all just know where you stand. Because I would just love to see walk up, see one of my friends in some of some like, weird government building just chain smoking. I'm like, what's up, man? You cool? He's like, no, nah, dog. Today's my day. I'm like, shit. <laughs> you had a black year, dog. You fine. Like, no, nah, man, you don't understand, player. <laughs> I was the one that brought that quiche to that barbecue. I'm like, oh, shit. So when you just start rubbing his back, I, if that's the only thing you did, you probably could. It's like, no, nah, man, you don't get it, player. I got really drunk at the company party, and I used the word shenanigans twice. <laughs> Fuck. I hope you like the taste of tofu. Guys, I've been Al Jackson. Thank y'all so much. Al Jackson. (laughs) 
We're moving along. Two more comics. I'm going to release you into the streets of Los Angeles at night. The safest time. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I maybe forgot to mention earlier uh, at Dave Thomason. is at Dave underscore Thomason, S-O-N. Uh, and then at Al Jackson. Al, what was your Twitter handle? It was Al Jackson. <laughs> How did you come up with that? What a curveball. Um, all right. Your next performer, uh, also been on At Midnight a bunch. Uh, I also adore her. She's amazing and funny and, uh, and incredibly cool. And her stand-up album is called uh, Chrysalis. It's available on Amazon and the Internet Tunes, which the kids call iTunes. Uh, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Miss Sarah Schaefer! Hey! Thanks, guys. Um, I've been working on my posture. Um, I'm, as you can tell, it's pretty piss poor. I mean, right now, I'm in a power stance. <laughs> um... This is me proud, you know. <laughs> for me to roll up my shoulders and just be perfectly straight like this, like, it's cardio for me. Like, <laughs> like I am planking right now. <laughs> I'm about to start shaking. I need to, re- I'm just going to return back to normal. <laughs> uh, there's a reason for my bad posture, though. It's because of a trauma I suffered uh, in middle school. Um, it's because my boobs never came in the mail and I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, but here's what happened. Um, I came up with a genius plan to fly, to, to hide my flat chest. Um, what I would do is I would find the biggest shirt I could find, put that shirt on and then hunch over thus creating the terrible posture. And then I would hold that position because then the fabric on that shirt would just hang down like a curtain, <laughs> like a wall. And then I would just delicately walk through the hallway just like... <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. There could be double Ds up in here. It totally worked. It's how I got my nickname, Sarah the Tit Machine Schaefer. <laughs> no... I made, I made that part up. Um, now, I know some of you have taken the liberty at this time to sneak a peek. Do you want to see what happened? Go ahead. Put your male gaze upon me. And I'm like, wait a minute. Something came in. It worked out. Well, I hate to break it to you, but it's just two pieces of Tempur-Pedic foam that I cut out and put into a bra. But it's really cool because if I lay down... I can put a wine glass on this boob and drop a bowling ball on this boob and the wine does not spill. Very fun to hook up with as we get to do science. Um, you'll have to forgive me for my, if I stumble my words and um, uh, seem a little out of it. It's because uh, I came here and had um, Totino's pizza rolls for dinner Apparently, uh, not a lot of glycemic index. What's that thing that gives you energy for a long period of time? I think you can eat 12 of those, and then 30 seconds later, you're hungry again. That, there's some sort of scientific engineering they do to make it so you want more. Or maybe it's just because they taste fucking great. Um, I think they're sponsoring this. I don't know. Anyway... <laughs> 
just to be safe. Add that last part in. Um, I have a boyfriend. It all worked out. Um, and we moved in together. And I love him so much. He's so great. But um, there was something he was doing when we first moved in together that I was like, wait a minute. This could be a deal breaker. Um, he likes to play this video game. Um, I don't know what it's called. I think it's called War. Um, but, and look, I know there's probably a lot of people here that play that game. And I just want to thank you for your service to our country. I appreciate the sacrifices you have made. I know you haven't seen your wife in a long time. And you haven't even met your infant son. But he's playing this game all the time and it's just I don't just maybe this is just me but when I'm eating yogurt in the morning I don't need to be taking fire from all sides I don't need I can't have a chopper landing on my head it's just too much it's like literally the opposite of what you want your home to be which is which is peaceful it's literally the opposite so I was like this isn't going to work we need to come up with a compromise so we agreed um, he would play in the other room with headphones on. Worked out great. But I noticed after a while, the only thing I could hear coming from the other room was just every once in a while, I would just hear him say, sorry. Oh, man, sorry. <laughs> Dang it, sorry. Just like, what, are you, what is going on in there? what is this game? I, I think this game isn't what I thought it was. I'm just imagining that the object of the game is just to get through a crowded bar. It's like, sorry. Oh, sorry. And my friend's over there. Sorry. Sorry. And then you, you get your drink at the end of each level, and it's like, up to the next level. So I go in there, I'm like what kind of game are you what what is going on in here who are you talking to because I haven't played a video game since it was literally like a rectangle with two red dots on it <laughs> he's like I'm talking to other people I'm Like, where are they he's like all over the world he's really excited He's like, yeah, it's awesome. If you want to hear a nine-year-old use a racial slur at 10 a.m., you could just log into this game and do that. (laughs) Okay. What are you apologizing for? He's like, oh, that's when I accidentally kill one of my fellow soldiers. I'm like, oh, shit. It is a good thing you're not in the real military. (laughs) Very polite, but not a good idea. Uh, have you guys ever had a sex dream that was so weird that when you woke up, you were like, I uh, know I'm not gay, <laughs> but I'm something. <laughs> and when I say sex dream, I don't mean like you wake up, what a kooky dream. <laughs> you wake up fully aroused. and It's like a wet dream. And for a girl, you know that's really hard to do. Um <laughs> It was a squirting joke. Anyway. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the guy saying, ooh, is like Googling it later. Um. 
<laughs> Who's into that? <laughs> I am. Um, I mean, this dream was like so... I was like, woke up just like... <sighs> um, and here's the dream I had. So in the dream, I'm having sex with Giselle Bunchen. Not the weird part of the dream. That's completely normal. Everyone should have a sex dream about that. That's standard fare. I'm having sex with Giselle Bunchen in a CVS in the cold medicine aisle. Again, not the weird part of the dream. That's, I mean, you, that's sort of an exhibitionist, like, you know, clear sinuses type fantasy. No, this is the weird part of the dream. In the dream, I'm Danny DeVito. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Have you guys, uh, just bring it on home, guys. Um, have you guys ever pissed yourself as an adult? I uh, I didn't realize what all went into it. Um, well, there's a lot that goes into it. I, here's what happened. I lived in New York City, and I had a big Friday night planned. I was going to take the subway back home for 45 minutes to Brooklyn, get out, go to the grocery store, get two DiGiorno Supremes, two six-packs of High Life, head on home, split that with my boyfriend while we watch something we call the Knife Channel, which is like a home shopping network just for knives. <laughs> We had a big night plan. Knife night was going to happen. Nothing was going to distract me from executing this. So, it's cool. Watch it. Um, so, I'm about to step down into the subway. And right before that, I'm like, oh, I kind of have to pee. Um, doing math in my head. I'll be fine. I get down into the subway. And I know you're thinking, oh, my God, she peed herself in the subway. I wish I had pissed in the subway. That's where New York goes to pee. No, no, no. I made it through that subway ride. I got out, and you know you've been sitting for a long time, and then you stand up, and things have shifted. The situation has drastically changed. And I was like, <gasps> and I like called him. I was like, I'm going to still go to the grocery store, but you get all those doors open, because I have to pee really bad. So he had three doors I would have to unlock to get to the bathroom in our building. And... Um, you know when you have to pee really bad, you don't know how keys work anymore? You're just like, ah, which one is it? <laughs> so I was like, I planned ahead. I was like, get all the doors open. He's like, go, all right, all right. You can do it. I get the stuff. I get up to the front of the, ca- of the checkout counter. And it is to the point now where I'm like, I've never crossed this threshold. I don't know what happens if I don't pee right now do I die (laughs) does my bladder explode and get pee all over my other organs that's disgusting and now most of you are probably like well why didn't you just ask for a restroom and I'm like clearly you've never been to New York City because if you ask for a bathroom in New York City they're like bathroom (laughs) now we haven't had a bathroom here in 40 years (laughs) so I stand there, and right at that moment, I made a decision that if you judge, you can go straight to hell. (laughs) And in order to explain that decision, I have to reveal a little secret that people who are born with female genitalia have, which is 
sometimes when you sneeze really hard or you laugh really hard or you like jump off of something tiny little bit of pee comes out and you just let it absorb into your underwear and you never say a word to anyone half the women in this room have pissed themselves today just a tiny bit just a couple drops don't try to deny it so I thought I'll do that I'll let just a little bit of pee out just a just just to relieve some of this pressure I'm feeling and then I'll go home and let the rest out into the toilet it'll be great well I let a little bit of pee out and I could not stop it I was full on pissing myself while making eye contact with a grocery checkout lady two feet from my face and I'm just like oh my god play it cool It'll just absorb into your brown pants. It looked like camo. Camo's really in right now. So from here up, I'm just like, debit. (laughs) Well, I looked down and uh, it didn't absorb. It went straight out the bottom of my pants. <laughs> Have you seen Titanic? Do you know how hard it is to shut a door on water rushing through it? I don't know what I was thinking. So anyway, I, uh, I didn't know what to do. So I just got my stuff. I covered up and I just left without, without acknowledging it. Because that's the great thing about New York City is you can just blame everything on everyone else. So the follow-up to that story is that, you know, if, if, if that, again, if that happened to you in any other place in this great land of ours, you would just go to a different grocery store for the rest of your life. <laughs> just drive an extra five minutes down the road, never show your face at that old place again, at your, at your toilet again. <laughs> but not me, because in New York City, you only get one grocery store. There's only one little grocery store that your little feet can carry you to. That was my grocery store. And now if you think about it, it really was my grocery store. Because I marked it. Guys, thank you so much! Sarah Schaefer! Who is at Sarah Schaefer1 on Twitter. Guys, we are at the halfway point. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Your next performer is a dear friend of mine whom I've known for a very long time, and I am very pleased and honored that he has joined our little comedy program tonight. Uh, he's been on Comedy Bang Bang on IFC, also Major Laser on FXX. He's been on At Midnight a bunch. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. James Adomian! <laughs> Hard and firm, everybody. Hi, how are you, Nerdist? Good, good. The last pulses of energy. I thrive on this. Nice to be here. I'm going to keep it quick because I got uh, an audition in Culver City tomorrow and I have to leave right after this to get there in time. It's the hardest place to get to. It's harder to get to than San Diego. Um, 
There's no grid there. You can enter Culver City heading southwest, and it'll shoot you out heading northeast. <laughs> if anyone ever invades Los Angeles, go to Sony on Overland. Sony Studios, no one will be able to find it. It's our Moroccan fortress. I do like, I grew up near there at the airport, Lot C. That's where I, the James Adomian birthplace. Um, I used to ride my bike down to Culver City and get lost and disillusioned. And, um, but the way, like, they have a chip on their shoulder in Culver City about how they were almost as important as Hollywood. <laughs> They have plaques on every building of significance in Culver City, California. Then each plaque will be like, Mary Pickford once had a general meeting here 88 years ago. Charlie Chaplin began principal photography on two motion pictures before giving up and finishing them in Hollywood. <laughs> Guess what? Yeah, no one wants to have a call time at the corner of national and national and national. <laughs> Too specific for a national broadcast podcast audience? I don't think so. I grew up on the west side. I'm the west side version of Brody Stevens. Yes. Stephen Cody Stevens. 310 for life. How dare you? I order off menu at Tito's Tacos. Yes. Sepulveda is my shortcut. Back off. I swim the Bologna Creek for fitness. Have some respect. <laughs> Westchester Bluffs climbed them. Yes. 310. <laughs> My name is etched to the wall at KXLU. <laughs> I'm going to do so. Look, I got one of Look, we got a very big supporter that I paid to be here in the front row. Thank you. I'm not done um, uh, dumping on other par parts of neighborhoods in Los Angeles, I suppose. I can do that for a while. Um, I, pers I live in Los Feliz, uh, which is appropriate because I'm gay and I'm also Armenian. And <laughs> Los Feliz is the only neighborhood where those are allowed to overlap. <laughs> Everywhere else in Los Angeles, they're like, Armenian, what? Or gay, no such thing. <laughs> But Los Feliz is halfway between Glendale and Silver Lake. They had, they're like, all right, we'll come to an arrangement. Fine. There was like a secret meeting that Cher was in charge of. I know, I don't, I don't look Armenian. I don't sound gay. Well, how do you think I feel? I get into a cab, and the Ar Armenian cab driver, and he's like, you're not Armenian. And he takes me to a gay bar where they're like, you're not gay. And this is my life in Los Angeles. <laughs> but I do live in Los Feliz, so I can walk to Zanku Chicken and Akbar. It's my triangle of success. <laughs> it's a beautiful neighborhood, Los Feliz. I recommend it. It's, uh, it's not perfect, though. You see some rough stuff sometimes. Uh, I, there's an accident outside my apartment the other day. I saw a smart car get T-boned by a guy walking and texting. <laughs> The smart car was totaled, but luckily the iPhone had a pretty good case on it. 
And they're going to keep it out of the court system because they're both writing partners on the same sitcom. Uh, there's a crazy guy in my neighborhood in Los Feliz who walks around yelling things, screaming things uh, at the top of his lungs, usually at night, sometimes in the day. Um, but the weird thing is he's always bellowing and nothing he says is wrong. He's just unpersuasive. <laughs> He'll yell things like, the banks are criminal organizations that are cannibalizing society. And I'm like, yeah, we all know that. It, it's just four in the morning. That's all. Nobody, you're not going to sign anybody up for your email list. <laughs> I heard him one time yelling uh, what I recognized as the lyrics from a song that the Talking Heads did back in the 80s. And then later that day, I heard the song, and uh, I recognized the lyric. I was like, I knew it. That's a Talking Heads song. And it made me realize, oh, the Talking Heads were just writing lyrics for their songs that were what a crazy guy would yell in the streets. (laughs) Because what I heard him yelling was, there is water at the bottom of the ocean. Water flowing and water removed. (laughs) Apparently, Talking Heads music is just like what you get to when you run out of stuff about the gold standard to scream about. This is not my house. This is not my beautiful wife. (laughs) I think it maybe David Byrne has had some hard times and maybe he's wandering around those feelings. Uh, I get nerdy from time to time. This is a safe space for that, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I've been... I got back into playing um, Axis and Allies. I don't know. I was, how do, there's no way around it. You know what that is? Uh, it's a board game uh, for teenagers or grown-up teenagers. And uh, you roll dice, and it's like risk. You roll dice to take over the world, except it's World War II. And um, it's also... Axis and Allies is the only toy that you can find in the toy store where they're like, want to try to play Hitler? <laughs> That's one of several options is Adolf Hitler you can be. But I'm not even playing the cool board game version with actual dice and actual friends. I just downloaded it, so I'm sitting there smoking pot and drinking beers going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oops, Pearl Harbor. Oh, too bad. Uh, I, I, the weird thing about Axis Allies is that you can, like, fuck up and mess up. You can mess up, like, the wor- like history uh, if you play badly. And I just want to have a Franklin Roosevelt speech from the world that I created for, through bad gameplay. Uh, and just have him come on the radio and be like, Yesterday, April 3rd, 1940, a full year and a half before it should have been possible, the Japanese Empire loaded one tank onto one transport and completely conquered the territory of Hawaii. Which had been undefended. <laughs> we are unable to counterattack because we've only been buying tanks. <laughs> I want to know at what point in history did someone knock on the president's door when he was broadcasting? Like, we shall create a United Nations to unite the nations of the world. Mr. President, what do you want? You don't have to put, put your fingers on your nose anymore. We won, the war's over. <laughs> What are you talking about, you imbecile? I was elected four times. Look, I'm taking the Roosevelts down one by fucking one. Dangerous political satire up here. 
Actually, I was in New York and I went to the Natural History Museum in New York City, and uh, I forgot that they have all this like Teddy Roosevelt propaganda all over the walls there. And he came from a time before feminism or Tumblr. Um, <laughs> so there's all these like quotes from Teddy Roosevelt, and all of them are like, "The manful manliness of mankind shall man forward until manifest destiny mandatorily mans itself to the man, 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 man." <laughs> And they're kind of embarrassed about it now. Everybody, like, everybody there now is like a museum person. Like, yeah, well, we don't really um, condone the statements. They're just chiseled in marble, you see. So, <laughs> and it's structural marble. So there's very little we can do about that. <laughs> and then there's a big statue of Teddy Roosevelt outside on a horse with big balls. It would be disgusting if he had big balls, but the horse, sure. <laughs> The biggest balls of the world. Ah, I'm a man-man. <laughs> I, like I like a good man's man. I wasn't uh, lying about that earlier. <laughs> I am a renowned homosexual. Uh, you may have heard that in the scandal pages. Uh, the West Coast, oh, what was that? Um, yeah, it's fun. I don't, I mean, I'm gay, but I don't, I don't know. I'm gay, nobody gets it. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't scan gay. Like in a supermarket checkout sense, like, beep gay, beep gay. And then it gets to me and it's like, oh, we've got to manually key this one in. <laughs> I am gay from the point of intercourse on, which makes me the opposite of James Franco. I don't know if you read the news about James Franco being almost gay, but I sure did, because I read any of the gay blogs. <laughs> and that's basically what they're there for, as a daily alert. He's still alive! Franco's still alive! And incredibly hot! And he's almost gay! <laughs> Stop the presses! Franco almost fucks man! Almost! <laughs> I really, I think it's bold and courageous of him to do that, because no straight man has ever almost fucked a uh, gay man. We don't, we don't know what that's like. Um... I, uh, I do like the bromance phenomenon. That's a fantastic... Uh, my favorite bromance right now is Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Those are my two favorites. They're like venerated old British actors. They're like, oh, they were born in the theater. And I can't tell their voices apart if I'm just listening to it. They sound identical to me. They're like, I'm Patrick Stewart and I'm Ian McKellen. One of us is gay. The other one is bald. And both of those are okay. We're starring in a Broadway production of Tweedledee and Tweedledum. When an actor reaches a certain age, he can play certain parts like King Lear or Tweedle. I love those British actors that will project. They'll just throw it out there for you. You can hear everything they say. Like, uh, I love, like Game of Thrones, not so much. Like, they, they're all whispering. That's the kind of acting that's in style now. Whisper acting. They're British actors and they whisper. That's a bad combo. Look, I'm not going to go. It's a beautiful show, but I can't understand it. There's whole, there's whole scenes in Games of Thrones where they're like, the others come from the cross the land of from time beyond time. What the fuck is going on? I'm from the land of weak-voiced wizards, you see. 
And they have, they'll actually write things in where there's characters that are like, Your Majesty, turn your back to the camera so that no one may understand of what we speak. Cover your lips, my liege. Let someone put the plot together. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I do like it when we'll take a British TV show and we fix it so that we can watch it here on American-sized TVs. We did that with House of Parliament, uh, whatever, House of Cards. I guess it was, who can't, it was some British version of it. House of, House of Lords or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> but then we brought it over here and we red, white, and blued it, okay? We put an honest American dog-loving steak fucking actor in that part, Kevin Spacey. And now it's an American-ass TV show. And I love it. I love House of Cards so much. Most of all, I love Kevin Spacey. The fact that he has a camera that he gets to turn to and confess his evil congressman schemes. I love it so much. He'll be like, well, that's a very interesting idea. I'll have to bring that up when I'm president of the United States. I'm going to ruin her career. I love everything about it. I love the fact that Kevin Spacey's cheeks haven't moved in 20 years. Most of all, I want a camera like that that I can turn to and confess shit because I don't have any Machiavellian schemes. And in fact, I'm just bad at like all human social situations. So if there were a camera to capture that, I would be like, well, that's a very interesting idea. I'll have to address that on the floor of the House of Representatives. I've already forgotten her name. <laughs> You want to scratch my back, Zoe Bonds? I'll be sure to scratch your back. I'm too stoned to be saying this on C-SPAN. <laughs> that wouldn't... I, I, no one would watch that show but me. Um, I would, like, by the way, C-SPAN, uh, if it's still around, uh, no, one has, no one would know. You've never watched it. <laughs> If you tune into C-SPAN at any time, Bernie Sanders is in the middle of a filibuster on C-SPAN, halfway into a very long algebra equation. The top 12% of the top 4% so for Y minus X divided by the numerator with Avogadro's number floating up there somewhere. 4% of 5% underneath the 7% that somebody forgot about under the couch, which is 12% of the top 17% of office furniture. <laughs> I love so much that Bernie Sanders is finally running for president so that people have to know who he is enough for me to do an impression of him. <laughs> He's the best guy. Everybody, people, oh, the American people agree with me on 90% of the issues, but 80% of them will not vote for me. <laughs> I love him. I love the guy so much. He's like, uh, he's like the American people. Look, I look. I know what I look like. I'm a, I'm a, a train conductor from Thomas the Tank Engine <laughs> with cotton candy hair. I look like I have uh, several friends who are puppets. <laughs> I understand that I have the voice of a bullfrog and the personality of a library card. <laughs> For more, go to my website, berniesanders.org forward slash why not Bernie. How about it? <laughs> anyway, that's him. I'm going to do a couple more impressions and uh, we'll get out of here. Uh, but you've been very fun. Thanks for coming. Um, I'll do. 
some impressions of comedians uh, that you might know that aren't here, so they don't get angry at me. Um, first off, this is my impression of Eddie Pepitone singing the hit songs of the Beatles. Shaves another fucking customer. <laughs> Penny Lane, it's in my ears. Ah! It's in my eyes. Mommy, why did we move to Penny fucking Lane? Thank you. This is a very quick impression of um, Matt Bronger. This is Matt Bronger at a circus. You ever sit on a clown? Ever? You ever get tired just sit on a clown? You ever sit on a clown? You ever get tired just sit down right on a clown? You ever do that? You ever just sit? Ow, clown nose right in your ass. Ow, clown bozo right up the rectum. Bronger at the circus. And finally, finally, this is... um. This is Louis C.K., and I don't... I don't even get a scenario. I'm, I'm just a piece of shit, and I'm white, and I'm fat, and I'm just an asshole that came out of its own asshole. And it sucks, because when you're young, all you want is pizza, and then you get old, and you become fucking pizza. And the toppings are failure and fuck and cunt. And then you just shit out of your own ass like an asshole pizza fuck out of a cunt fuck shit. Fuck. Why? God. Fuck. Daughter. Fuck. Daughter. Fuck. All right. That was Louis. You, my friends, are my favorites. Thank you so much. James the Jovian. And three extra very famous comedians drop by at the end of the set. Ladies and gentlemen, please, a huge hand for everyone you saw tonight. Baron Vaughn, Megan Nuringer, Kyle Clark, Cameron Esposito, Carlos Delgado, Dave Thomason, Al Jackson, Sarah Schaefer, and James Adomian, who is at Jay Adomian on Twitter. I am Chris Hardwick. Thank you so much for coming out of the cluster. Enjoy your burrito, everyone, and a good night. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.